This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is that time of the week. It is your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I'm your host, LaChina Robinson. I'm sorry we missed you guys last week. Um, on a little bit of a break just for the week. But, of course, as always, I am joined by my fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. What up, T? Hey, now. How's it going? Everything is good. You know, it's like I can't believe summer is already like, well, it's, it, okay. Technically, summer is just getting started. But, like, kids are going back to school in Atlanta. August, in my mind, maybe from my childhood, always signals the end of summer. Um, so I'm trying to hold on and remember that, hey, I live in an area of the country where it'll probably be warm through November. No reason to get sad. But I do kind of feel like summer's over a little bit. Well, that's kind of a bittersweet moment for me because the end of summer means that it's football season, which as much as I love women's basketball, I also love football. Don't you make that matter of fact, tell you about your cowboy jumping on bandwagon self. Anyway, moving forward. (laughs) Um, But August also means birthday time for me. So next week, people, when I'm a little turned up, it's because it's my birthday. That's right. Yeah. Now, what day is it? I'm terrible with birthdays. It's, all, it it's okay. It my, my birthday is August 17th, which is technically on a Thursday. Now, we usually record on a Wednesday, but I'm okay with taking birthday shout outs early. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely work it in there. That's right. Y'all heard it. Tariqa's birthday, Thursday, August 17th. No excuses. She needs to get tweets at she knows sports underscore. Let her know how much we love and appreciate her. So we have that on deck. Um, and speaking of on deck, we have a great show planned for today. Uh, we will have a very short intro because we've got a round table. We've got um, one of the hottest players in the league coming up. Let me just tell you guys really quickly. Uh, we are going to have like a round table discussion, a potpourri of topics that uh, Tariq and I have put together with uh, some people in the women's basketball circle and the media circle that I respect, that I have the utmost respect for. Um, we will have Michelle Smith on, who is an ESPNW contributor. Uh, David Siegel will be on. Dish and Swish, you guys know him. Great podcast, great writer. Uh, just a, a full-out women's basketball guru. Then we will also have Howard Megdal as a part of the roundtable. He is with um, Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast. Got a couple of popping podcasts happening in women's basketball. He also um, heads up the Summit, which has been a great source for women's basketball information this summer. Uh, we will have John Quell Jones on the show, so you definitely want to hang around into the second half for that. And then we will wrap up with one of my favorite people in the entire land, and not because he's left-handed, But Doug Feinberg, um, AP writer, will join us to give us some USA basketball updates. Um, Some exciting things happened last week um, with USA basketball and their under-23 team. Big news for women's women's hoops in general. So we have a lot to get to. With that, I'm going to kick it to my very short first quarter. Let's go, Tarika. First quarter. So, fans, we are going to jump into this roundtable in just a moment. But you know I like to usually kick things off in the first quarter, which is our Blow the Whistle segment. Uh, Just kind of opening things up with my clipboard. And and I just want to say, number one is there is so much going going on in the WNBA right now. Like, the playoff pushes on. There's only about one month left in the regular season. So games are getting tight. The action is, has just been amazing, especially coming off of the All-Star break. Uh, we are going to also talk about later in the show a couple key injuries that may impact the standings and where people are. Um, big announcement for, um, for the WNBA, um, EA Sports. And the WNBA partnered to bring WNBA to NBA Live. That's right. We are hitting the video games. So excited about that. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I thought that was some major news. But more than anything, guys, just continue to uh, check WNBA.com. Download the WNBA League Pass because you can watch all games. Um, They've even had some freebies here and there where you can get on the app, so make sure you're watching out for that. Obviously, Tariq and I, you can hashtag around the rim if you have any questions, suggestions, comments on women's basketball. Very exciting time for the game. And with that, we are going to head into the second quarter with our roundtable. Second quarter, inside the huddle. 
fans, we're going inside the huddle. And when I say inside, we are going deep inside the huddle uh, with some very special guests. I just mentioned to them offline that I kind of stole this whole roundtable discussion type thing from David. Um, sorry about that, Dave. And some other people that I've seen do this. But it's a great opportunity to introduce um, at least to Around the Rim. And, and I think you guys have been on the show before at some point. But again, introducing to the audience um, a group of people that really hold women's basketball together from a media standpoint, um, covering the game, introducing discussions across the board, just three people that I have the utmost respect for. Uh, starting off, we have ESPNW contributor Michelle Smith on. Hello, Michelle. Hello. Uh, we also have David Siegel with us from Dishing and Swishing. Hello, Dave. Hi, Regina. It's nice to be a guest on the roundtable instead of hosting. Hey, well, I'm not as good of a host as you are yet, but I've I've heard enough of your podcast that I have I have an idea and have some things I'm definitely going to steal. So, um, thank you for the blueprint. And then, last but not least, we have Howard Megdal from Locked On Women's Basketball and the Summit. Welcome, Howard. Uh, pleasure to be here, Latrina. Always great to chat with you. Well, guys, we have so much to cover. And again, I want this to just be some open dialogue between us. And we're just going to start off browsing at the WNBA standings. Now, last night, Bob Rathbun and I on the broadcast had this conversation that it seems like it's bottoms up in the league. And what I mean by that is some of the teams that have been dwelling in the cellar have um, hit a peak coming off the the all-star break. So right now, let's start at the top with the Minnesota Lynx, um, who are 21-3. and Now, they won in Atlanta. The game before that, they lost against Indiana. But the big news is obviously the injury to Lindsey Whalen. And I'm going to start, Dave, throwing this uh, to you. When you look at Minnesota, how big of a deal is it that Lindsey is missing this time? Now, they're expecting her to return. So they're expecting her to return before the end of the season. That broken left hand has been repaired. But how big of a deal is it to you that she is missing? And does this give you any concern as far as the Minnesota Lynx playoff run? Well, anytime that you lose your point guard, there's always going to be some sort of at least a delay in trying to adjust your systems and get things to where you want to be going. You know, the good thing for the Lynx is that they are such a deep team that they can bring Renee Montgomery into the starting lineup where she has been before and uh, they won't miss too much from that aspect of experience. But where it affects them a lot is the depth going into the bench. You know, makes more minutes for Gia Perkins. It's going to give Alexis Jones some opportunities. But, you know, it does change the way that you run things. And not having someone with the veteran savvy and the experience and leadership of Lindsay, you know, clearly hurts them no matter how good the team is. And even if they keep winning, it's not going to be the same Lynx team. Yeah, and one thing I will say, and I'm going to throw this at you, Michelle, that you know concerns me a little bit is that this is a team that thrives on consistency. They've had the most consistent lineup, you know, minus the recent games with Simone sitting out due to personal reasons and, and Lindsey Whalen. I mean, they've had the fewest number of shifts in the lineup. You know, we all know about their their uh, preseason regimen that they all like to come in and they go through reps together and um, you know that chemistry that cohesiveness that's a big part of what they do do you think that could possibly impact um, the outlook of how they finish the season well I think what's interesting and coincidentally I got off the phone with Cheryl Reeve about 20 minutes ago for something else I was working oh, on nice. and, you know <laughs> and Renee and yeah and Renee I mean Renee Montgomery is an experienced point guard but she's a different point guard than Lindsay Whalen was the point that Cheryl was trying to make to me and there's going to be you know even as much as Renee's played there's an adjustment and what'll be interesting is then Lindsay comes back and then they have to adjust back and you're at a point in the season where you're sort of asking people and you're asking your team to adjust to these different floor leaders and play calling and all of the various things that come with being with having your point guard out. And so I think that's going to be sort of an interesting transition or two for Minnesota to watch them adjust to having Renee Montgomery be their floor leader and, and making all those adjustments. And then if Lindsay comes back or when Lindsay comes back, swinging back the other way. So I think that those are going to be interesting. That all being said, 
Minnesota so experienced. They are so consistent. They do just know how to win, particularly in the postseason, that I'm not ultimately hugely concerned about their prospects here for their playoff run. I just think it's going to be interesting to watch these last couple weeks and see how they make these adjustments. Yeah, and uh, you know it's interesting when you when you say that because for years we've said this team has so much talent, but all of a sudden we're a little bit worried. You know, it's like they have to go to this bench that we've said, oh, they've got Renee Montgomery, that's not fair. Oh, they've got Plinette Pearson, oh, that's not fair. You know, oh, they've got Gia Perkins, that's not fair. But ultimately, this is what we said that they had the ability to do all this time was to go deep and was to be so talented even off of the bench with players that could be starting in other places. But the focal point, Howard, at the end of the day is Sylvia Fowles. And I I just want to know, in your mind, is there any question that she is the MVP? Boy, there really isn't. And, you know, to to your point about consistency and the fact that they've been doing this for years, it puts Minnesota in a position to be able to weather things effectively. And Sylvia is actually a really good example of how we're able to see that. When you go back to her coming in midway through the 2015 season, there was an adjustment period. And uh, Cheryl was trying to have her wings play in a fundamentally different way and uh, center the offense uh, around Silvio. And then you look, by the time the playoffs rolled around, and she was able to be finals MVP. So I think that of any team, they are best set up to do this uh, because of uh, Cheryl's ability, because of the fact that these players have been doing it for years, because of the fact that this period of time in between when Lindsay is out and when she's coming back is during a time that they are already three and a half up, even on Los Angeles, for the number two seed uh, for, and uh, are currently number one. So I think that Minnesota is far better able to handle that relative to, say, someone like a Washington uh, who has to deal with uh, missing Elena Deladon while they are still in year one of trying to integrate Elena into what they do. But perhaps the biggest reason, just to come full circle on your question, is because Sylvia Fowles is having a year like she has never had. I mean, a Hall of Fame center uh, and the all-time leader in field goal percentage in the history of the league is well beyond what she's ever shot from the field. Double teams, triple teams, it doesn't really matter other than uh, the officials in her most recent game. No one can really stop her. Yeah. No, I, I definitely see something different in Sylvia. And again, you know, I've said this on, on several broadcasts. She's had 20 in 10 seasons before. It's not necessarily the numbers. Yes, the efficiency is blowing us away, but it's just her mentality. Like she, she is on a completely different level from everyone else. And I, I don't think there's any question that she's the MVP. If there are any objections, please speak up now. Three. Two, one. Okay. So moving along, I'm going to jump from number one actually at this point to number 12 because San Antonio has won three straight games. Kelsey Plum, and I'm going to put in a plug here for our, our friend Doug Feinberg, who's going to join the show later, is the AP player of the week. Now, my question about San Antonio, because we're looking at how they play, and it's, it's much more than Kelsey Plum as far as their play as, uh, as of late, right? It's Kayla Alexander, it's um, Izzy, who who, in my opinion, will be in the conversation for most improved player. I mean, Izzy Harrison has been fantastic. It's Alex Montgomery, who we see actually has some point guard skill that they've been able to incorporate. But um, looking at the number of wins they have on the season, which is six, and they're the last three games, which they've won, and anyone can jump in here, does, is this saying that they have underachieved early on in the season, or are they just starting to to hit a stride after, you know, some experience of playing together? Well, so I'd, I'd love to grab this if I could, uh, just because it's really interesting. There's a number that is mind-blowing, which is that when Kelsey Plum has 30 or more minutes in a game, San Antonio is 5-0 and this year. So there, there's sort of two parts mm. that I see to their season, which I think are very interesting and, uh, quite frankly, puzzling. You know, one being... The question of, and, you know, this goes back to prior to the draft of how Kelsey was going to fit in, how excited San Antonio was going to have. Uh, Kelsey's agent spoke out about this as well. And so Kelsey getting the time to be able to play, like any volume shooter, uh, you know, Diana Tarazi is a great example, Kelsey's hero, that 
having the minutes on the floor to be able to take the temperature of the game and really figure it out for someone with Kelsey's basketball IQ is really significant. And so it's not surprising to me that she's done well. But there's a long-term plan in San Antonio that either will or will not revolve around the trio of Kelsey, of Mariah Jefferson, and of Kayla McBride. And by San Antonio not playing them this way, whether they won six games or 16 games or two games this season, being able to answer that question and knowing how you have to build around those three most significant assets is something that, especially now with Mariah's knee uh, injury limiting her, I don't know that we're going to get an answer to this year. And that's hugely problematic for Ruth Riley being able to plan going forward. So as encouraging as it is to see, and like you said, uh, Isabel Harrison has been just terrific. Taylor Alexander is extremely underrated. There's a lot of talent there and a lot of green shoots. That question remaining unanswered is problematic, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that this season for San Antonio feels like, because of injuries and and other situations, that they just kept throwing stuff up against the wall from game to game to see what sticks, and they figured out maybe in these last few weeks what sticks, but that doesn't, it hasn't really felt like a direction for them this season. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, maybe now they're finding a direction, and, you know, 28, you know, 28, 29 games into the season, and, you know, I don't know. I just want to see. I want to see a direction from San Antonio, and winning is not necessarily a direction yet. You got to pick a path mm. here, and I think that we got to wait for them to yeah. do that. That's a really good point, Michelle. Um, and one thing that you know ha- did concern me to start the season, and still concerns me, is the size of that small backcourt. You know, um, because I'll be honest with you, when I watch Minnesota, I mean, it, it, it depends on where your bar is, right? Are you trying to be Minnesota? Are you trying to be LA? Um, you know, is that maybe further out in terms of the goals of the organization, or is that what you want to build for now? But the size matters on the perimeter. I will I will say that. Now, there are some exceptions and we're going to jump in a minute to David and talk about um about Connecticut a little bit because I think in some lineups they actually contradict that. You know, I mean, Jasmine Thomas is not huge and and uh Courtney is not huge, but these are players that are so quick and so athletic that even though they don't have that 6 foot Simone Augustus frame or you know even Essence Carson and, and, and Atlanta Beard on the wings are big then their quickness and athleticism can you know play a part in taking away some of the advantage that size gives you um, let's let's talk about Connecticut David because we're actually going to have John Quell Jones on the show later but you know from the outside looking in Honestly, you're like, okay, great. We know that Kurt Miller is a great coach. We knew that John Quill Jones had potential. But there's so many things that I don't think I even understand about how this team is where they are right now. Third in the league, 16-9. and They're on a four-game winning streak. All-star game and all the fanfare around their three all-stars did not shake them whatsoever. They showed a ton of maturity through all of that. So what is it that maybe we're not seeing with Connecticut that you think has made them successful, David? You know, one of the things that you hear about is chemistry and people liking each other, and sometimes it's overrated, sometimes it's underrated, and sometimes it doesn't make a difference. But this is a team of young players that really enjoy being together. They enjoy being a part of the same team. There's a chemistry there. They hang out off the court. You know, you mentioned John Quell. She is, you know, you can take you can take the girl out of the Bahamas, but you can't take the Bahamas out of the girl. She is so laid back <laughs> and funny. You know, she she's just a blast. And, and their leaders, you know, Jasmine and Alyssa Thomas, uh, you know, they they just they hold people accountable on the court, but not by uh, you know differentiating anybody from anybody. They, you know, people. Constantly, I read, you know, why is Danielle Adams in the league? Why is Danielle Adams there? She doesn't play about her conditioning and stuff. Danielle Adams is a teammate to the nth degree. They love having her there. I've talked to the coaches. They say that she is just a phenomenal teammate. You know, when, uh, you know, somebody had a birthday, you know, it was Danielle that brought in the cupcakes. You know, they just knew that she would do it. You know, so so it's, mm-hmm. it really is a chemistry thing where they don't mind swapping out Bentley, buying in and becoming off the bench, Williams starting. 
You know, Bantam enjoys her, her minutes when she gets them, so the guards are rotating. You know, and Kaiser has been such a difference on the bench, too, in just in her personality. You know, they really get along and play with that kind of youthful enthusiasm, not caring who scores or who does what. And there definitely is a youth movement in the league. I mean, we just talked about San Antonio, which, you know, I think we all agree is very talented. You know, did it take Vicky a while to figure out what she was going to do in terms of minutes and where she wanted to put her focus? Yeah. And, and you know, like Michelle said, maybe she still hasn't found that. But obviously a lot of young talent. And then you shift to Connecticut who, you know, I mean, without Cheney, I was thinking, okay, when I thought back on last year, I'm like, okay, Cheney was really the focal point of a lot of their big wins. Her energy, her leadership, she's just tremendous, um, you know, in those situations and kind of galvanizing a group and bringing everyone together. They're successful without her. Dallas, speaking, adding on to the, to the youth movement, I mean, Fred Williams, I came into the season, no doubt, saying, they are they are planning for the future. They are drafting for the future. In my opinion, it wasn't for this year. The five rookies, I mean, Evelyn Akator was the number three overall pick and really has not made a difference. So why is this team experiencing this surge in, in success coming off a win over L.A. of all people? Hyphenated answer, Skylar Diggins-Smith. She's playing like a most valuable player candidate. She has got them running in the right direction. All of the rookies seem to be going there, uh, following her lead. Karima Christmas Kelly does all the, the things that you need to be done, need to be done inside. You get people like Kayla Thornton that just go, are willing to run through a wall for you. And it, it, again, it becomes contagious and enthusiasm grows. And then you add in in the middle of the season when teams are looking for trades, you add aerial powers all of a sudden, and you know then things take off. Let's not ignore what Lori Johnson does for this team as well, because certainly having uh, Charlotte Dickens Smith play as well as she has, and what she's really done is she's picked up where she left off just prior to her injury, just showing that uh, she had made a leap, and that was not a nine-game small sample uh, to be dismissed in the least. But Lori Johnson is not just the automatic double-doubles. It's not just the ability to defend uh, that she's really able to do at times three, four, and five in this league, which is a very rare skill set to have in and of itself. But her ability to make key plays at both the offensive and defensive end late in games, but she has this seemingly extra gear, really has made a difference in a number of these close wins. And so for a Dallas team that had, like you said, you know, five rookies, coming into the year, and then Kayla Thornton, who, by the way, has been fantastic at both ends uh, as well, but a sixth player with very little experience. You have to be talking about Fred Williams uh, in the Coach of the Year conversation, although Kurt Miller will certainly have something to say about that as well. <laughs> and Mike Tebow may have something to say about that. We'll get to him in a moment, but I go back to identity. I think you guys are making fantastic points in that, you know, this might have been what Michelle was hinting at with San Antonio. What is their identity? Dallas knows what their identity is. They are so aggressive. Fred has put together a team that's extremely athletic. Um, they all have the green light. You know, you can tell that there's there's a comfort level. And I'll say this about Skylar Diggins-Smith. I've been impressed with her ability her to have patience because we're talking about and, and, you know, one of the highest IQ players I think I've ever been around. So her understanding of the game and what needs to happen, what people need to be doing is very high. Yet you don't see that frustration with this young group. She has allowed them to work through their mistakes. You know, she thinks the world of Fred has said before, I mean, they have a great relationship. And I think their identity is so key to their success. Now, I'm going to quickly shift gears, just adding to that. Dallas is in seventh place right now. Um, and, and really, entering the, the last couple of weeks, they were in the battle for that A spot. And if, have, just, I mean, they have really taken over and gotten into the playoffs technically. If you look at where Chicago, Atlanta, Seattle are now, we've got games to play. But at least they're not battling for that for that A spot. So moving along to Washington. Look, China, can I just add in one more thing? Go on ahead. Dallas? Yes, please do. If we could, the one thing that makes me temper the enthusiasm a little bit, is they are nine at five at home, but only four and nine on the road, and they only have three more mm. home games. 
So Great they're going to have to definitely make some hay on the road for the last couple games to to stay in that number five spot. You know, that's that's one thing that's going to be. It, it really is amazing this year the difference between the home and away records uh, of teams. You know, Connecticut and Minnesota are the only teams above five hundred on the road. Uh, you know, I was, I was going to hop in on the identity thing before we move off of it, Bruce, just really quickly. You know, you're talking, we're talking about these young teams that are doing so well, and then we're talking about identity. And I think that identity is being provided by some really good coaches, you know, like Brad and Kurt Miller. And I think that when you're giving a young team identity and they're willing to take it, I think some of the t- sometimes through the years where we've had underachieving teams in the league, it's because maybe a coach comes in with an identity and veteran players aren't embracing it. And you've got young players who are taking hold of these identities that are being provided by these great coaches, and it's working. I mean, honestly, take a look, though, at the opposite end of the spectrum, what's going on in Seattle, right? I mean, you know, there are some talented young players on there, but they, I think, are struggling with identity, and they're struggling. So, you know, I mean, there's no less talent in Seattle with their young talent than there is in Dallas or in Connecticut, so what's the difference? Is it, and is it because these young players are embracing an identity that's being provided by the head coach? I think you can throw Chicago yeah. in there too. In the in the fact that they're veterans, I think it, I think it took a while at the start of the season. Granted, they were missing Vandersloot and Quigley part of that, but they struggled initially. Now they seem to have you know they made the couple adjustments in the locker room, and now all of a sudden they take off. You know, and they're well, they, looking they're looking like a better play, case for a playoff team than Atlanta. And even before the trade, just the fact that you had players in position where they were able to succeed the most, whether it's Jessica Breland playing at the four, or just quite frankly, the Courtney Vandersloot having the ball in her hands as that ball-dominant one makes all the difference in the world. How good has she been? I mean, I voted for her for Player of the Week this past week. I, you know, Doug, I sent in my votes, and I was like, I mean, how good has she been? I, I just give her all the credit for the success that they've had because her missing time early in the season with Euro basket and then arriving late. And, I mean, and Amber Stocks, her style of play, that takes adjustment. I mean, we were talking to Kathy Pondexter, and she does not want mid-range jump shots. So she's kind of eliminated. Uh, Cappy has lived on that in her career. She wants threes and she wants high percentage looks around the rim. So this is a completely different offensive system than most of them have played in. And, and going back to that word system. So I think it's been it's been a transition for them. You know, it's been challenging to kind of make those changes. I want to jump back to Seattle, though, really quickly. Um, it, it, any takers. Three yeah. number one picks. Things have been uh, up and down would be an understatement. They've lost four in a row. What has to change there? Well, I mean, you know, over at the summit, we had uh, a piece about some of the player discontentment uh, with what's going on with Jenny uh, in terms of their system. And I think you see, if you take a look at the video even last night, you know, uh, against the Connecticut Sun, to have a 33-9 fourth quarter is so problematic for every every way you can come up with, whether it's the fact that the defense was not there. And the defense sliding backward has been the polar opposite of both what Seattle attempted to try and rectify in the offseason by trading their sixth pick for Carolyn Swords and also what they expected out of this team. But they were a top-five defense last year, and they're tenth in the lead in defensive efficiency this year. But offensively as well, there's a real question as to where the diversity of attack is. And when you have players like Jewel Lloyd, you have Brianna Stewart who's capable of doing so many things, and Sue Bird, obviously, uh, who has a case, uh, I would say a very strong one, is the best point guard in the history of this league, and you're not able to finalize in crunch time and pull off a needed win, there's real questions as to what's going on there. But Seattle's in a situation now where... It's hard to see what their pathway is to the playoffs playing the way they're playing. And, you know, I spoke to Alicia Valvanis about this a couple weeks ago, uh, the GM of the Storm, who said that not making the playoffs is not a successful season. But the real question is if they find some way to slip into the eighth spot, but they don't advance, well, that's no better than what they did last year. Can that be considered a success? I just, the last point on that is being out in Seattle, it was so striking to me that. 
here was supposed to be really Brianna Stewart's coming out party. Here she is in her second year. She was the first overall pick last year. There's an all-star game in her first all-star game on her home floor. And all anyone was talking about was John Claude Jones. We've really seen some fundamental ways Seattle was supposed mm. to be the next big team. And Connecticut has really taken over that. And it's, and it's not really a question in anyone's mind. Yeah, that's actually a really great point. And those Stewie, you know, number-wise, I think she's done better since the All-Star break. We all know it's not just how much you score. It's when you score. It's, you know, situation. And it just seems to be something so off with their chemistry. I mean, it it just, especially for three players, Sue, Jewel, and Stewie, as individuals to be, so great. It, it's very, it's very troubling. Okay, so we don't have a lot of time here, guys. So we're gonna, I'm going to throw out the teams we have left, um, and you guys, each, each of you can pick one, and we'll try to at least just give one, um, one thought on each of these teams and kind of where they are. So we haven't talked about LA. We have not talked about the Mystics. Obviously, Elena Deladon still out. We haven't talked about New York, which. I don't know if New York gets a pass if they don't advance in the playoff, even without Brittany Boyd. So somebody can grab that if you want. Um, Brittany Griner still out for the Mercury, but I mean, when you look at where they are, you got to be kind of happy with the fact they're in sixth place without BG. And then Atlanta, which has done just a total, I mean, they've lost five games in a row. Three of those were to Minnesota, but at the same time, the same way we talked about Seattle, I don't see the light. And I'm actually starting to miss Angel McCautry. So, you guys, <laughs> who wants to go first? Which team do you want to take? Well, I'll hop on Atlanta. I mean, I think you're right. I think they are missing Angel McCautry because you're getting toward the end of the season and people are, you know, people have figured out whatever they were doing that worked and you've got new, you know, you've got a lot of new mixes there and things. And I think that they're missing consistency and Angel was consistency and you're getting down to the stretch and they just don't have it in the tank. They don't have that consistency in the tank that they can work off of. I, and I could not agree more. You know, they get to the fourth quarter because that's been their biggest tr- struggles as of late. Now, keeping in mind this is a young team, I still like the trade with Tamara Young and Imani Boyette because I feel like those at, those two players at some point um, will be able to provide what Atlanta needs. But Imani is still very raw, and, and I think it's going to take Tamara some time. But when it's go time, Angel McCartney has another gear. And right now, Atlanta is missing that gear. Who's next? Dave, Howard, what team are you taking? Well, you know, for me, when I see the New York Liberty, and you mentioned Brittany Boyd, and it's such a key, not just from the offensive point of view, and as she was a legit true point guard that they really don't have in her absence, she was also the league's uh, steal percentage leader in both of her first two seasons. And so not having those easy turnovers that turn into transition baskets is very important for a team that's uh, as much a struggle on the half-court set as the New York Liberty are. And all of that said, they've found a way to essentially have point guard by committee. Tina Charles is a distributor on top of doing everything else under the sun. And so for them to get to where they simply are making the playoffs and potentially get a win out of the playoffs, that would be a bonus. But I do think it's worth giving Bill Lambeer another year to figure that out just to see what this version of the team is healthy. And healthy, I mean healthy with Tia Stokes, healthy with Brittany Boyd, making sure that across the board they have the team in place uh, that they plan to have the entire time. Yeah, because I do feel like with the, some of the new pieces they've had, you know, with with Kia Vaughn having to miss time, um, Prince having to miss time, I can't harp on enough. Just 34 games is not a lot of time to get your bearings. So when you have those little shifts, starting out with the injury to Boyd, you know, Rebecca Allen hasn't been quite what I thought she was going to be for this team. Uh, but also Bria Hartley. You know, I, I've said from day one, and Bria Hartley was one of my favorite college players because she has a ridiculous motor. She she loves big moments, and she's just kind of one of those players that, in terms of her mental toughness, she's unfazed. Like, she is tough as 
his nails. But I think she needs more time with this group. So I, I would agree with you that I think there have been enough moments of adjustment that you can say, okay, if New York can make the playoffs, that'd be good because they've had so many moving pieces. And they're still fairly young in terms of this group playing together. But I would still like to see them advance. But I think, Bill, you're right. He's probably safe if he can get in and have a good showing. Dave, you're going to finish us up. Who do you have? Well, let me talk about Indiana, but just one last thing on those last two teams. Oh, thank you. I forgot Indiana. Could we possibly could we possibly be seeing some of these coaches that have been around for a while get starting to get tuned out? I mean, you got Cooper and Lambeer and Jenny. You know, there, there's lineups getting yanked to and fro, and sub bench players being moved back and forth, and not knowing roles. And you know, I, I just want you know you let you know you cover Atlanta, the China. You know, I look at Bria Holmes, and she'll play four minutes one game and 24 the next minute, and she's a second-year player. How do you develop a player that way? Now I want to segue that into Indiana and talk about what Pokey's doing there. This is a team that, you know, lost Shanice Johnson, of course lost, you know, the irreplaceable in catchings. You know, and, and she's brought in players in Candace Dupree, who was playing hard. Erica Wheeler's gotten a full-time starting gig. Tiffany Mitchell has now earned her spot in the starting lineup. And then you get somebody like Jasmine Guathme, who Pokey loves that 6-2 type of extend-the-floor type player. And, and even though they haven't won the lion's share of their games, it's still Indiana Fever basketball. They can win any day like they just did in the big upset over Minnesota, and they're going to play hard every game for you. And you know, I, I, I give props to to Pokey because that's one team that you never have to say they you know that they quit or they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I've definitely been concerned about uh, Indiana in stretches this year, only because I thought if there was nothing else they were going to do well, they were going to defend because that's what we know about Pokey Chapman, and that's kind of the way the roster. Um, you know, it's set up. Kelly Crosscough, obviously, arguably, maybe the best GM um, in the league, but they're set up to be a great defensive team, and that's kind of what failed them early on. But they do have a lot of great pieces. It's going to be interesting to see if they can get, if they can firm up that identity without Tamika Catchings towards the end of this season. I think that would be a win for them. Um, but it, it, it definitely, I think, has been a little bit more of a transition for Pokey there in terms of her defensive system than I anticipated. Now, we didn't get to talk about L.A. Um, we didn't get to talk about Washington. Thank you for keeping me honest on Indiana. We didn't get to talk about Phoenix. But, you know, going back to your point, Dave, I don't. if I was a coach in this league, I don't know that I would know exactly what it's going to take. It's an interesting time right now because the old way of doing things has worked for Minnesota. It's worked for L.A. But then you see these young teams that are bringing in new styles, new players, you know, new ideas. Um, and, and so there's a, a, a mix right now you know what is it going to take to be successful what type of roster do you need to have is it experience is it youthful so there's a lot to be um, figured out as the season goes on I just want to thank you guys so much for for joining the show I wish we had more time because this is such great conversation Uh, but before we go I just want you guys to share with the fans where they can follow you and um, keep up with all the great work that you're doing let's start with you Michelle uh, you will find me inside the W with Michelle Smith at WNBA.com every week. And you can find me on Twitter, Twitter at, at MaxSmith413. And once in a blue moon on ESPNW as a contributor. Awesome. How about you, Howard? Best way to follow us is uh, at Summit Hoops, two T's in honor of Pat. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. And we have an app which you can turn on notifications to 24-7 coverage of women's basketball Make sure you get it on iOS or Android. Those are going to be the best ways uh, to follow the coverage. We love it. And wrap us up, Dave. Well, you can always find me on Twitter with the at dish letter N swish. And that's always a good place to keep in touch with whatever I've got going on. Recently, I have just began putting the Dish and Swishing podcast with FanRag Sports. Uh, So that's going to give us a bigger platform on their blog talk radio platform. And I'm excited about that. And, uh, you know, yesterday we put up our first one with Jeff Walls talking about the U23 team that he's coaching in Japan. 
Yes, I saw that. Retweeted it earlier. Congratulations on that. Thank you guys for all that you are doing. Thank you for putting up with me. I'm an analyst trying to be a host on this podcast. So I still have a lot of learning and growing to do, but I appreciate your time, all your insight. And uh, we will definitely have you back. Tariq and I are going to be reaching out because your insights are so valuable and you've, I'm sure, enlightened our fans so much during this time. So thank you so much. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thank Thank you, you guys. Have a great day. Fans, it is halftime, but stay right where you are because in the third quarter, we are going to have none other than maybe the hottest player in the WNBA and John Quill Jones joining the show. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Around the Rim on your Apple podcast. You could also join us via the ESPN app. Make sure you set that alert so as soon as we have a new show, um, you can listen to our latest episode of Around the Rim. Hit us up on social media. Third quarter. Scouting report. Fans, guess what? We have arguably the hottest player in the WNBA right now in our third quarter. Please join me in welcoming WNBA All-Star. We're going to add that to your title now. John Quell Jones is on the show. Welcome, John Quell. Hey, thanks for having me. It's awesome to be here. Now, you are in your second season, but I think most people could agree you are the front runner for most improved player in the WNBA because of what you've been able to do, not just individually, but with the Connecticut Sun. Your team right now is third in the WNBA, um, despite losing Chinea Gumake coming into the season, you guys being young, you know, experienced. Who wants to talk about all that stuff when you guys are just bottom line winning games? What's been the key to your success? Oh, I think it's just our team. Um, I think we have a us-against-the-world mentality, and I think it kind of shows when we're out there on the court. Uh, I think everybody's bought into what's, you know, what's going on around us in terms of the coaching staff and um, a lot of the things that they bring to the table, and I think it's showing this year. And I also think um, I think it's a year of us just you know learning. Last year was not fun. We didn't win a lot of games, and um, we, lost, we lost a lot of games in the fourth quarter, so... Um, to be able to pull out a lot of games this year in the four quarter editions that we learned a lot from last year and that we've matured now as a team. Now, you're leading the league in rebounding, but you are flanked by two other All-Stars, first-time All-Stars this year, Jasmine Thomas, who has been arguably, I mean, she's been one of the best point guards in the league this year. She was an Eastern Conference All-Star. Also, Alyssa Thomas, who has uh, made that shift back to what I say is her natural position uh, at the four spot due to necessity. Morgan Tuck has been dealing with injury. You guys have had bit, been bit by the injury bug at different positions. Um, mm-hmm. Lynetta Kaiser at times and things like that. But bottom line is, that core group has come together so well. What's been really the key to that chemistry that you guys have on the court? I think it just goes, um, I think it's the way we are off the court. I think our team is just, um, you know, we have a lot of characters on it and everybody just is lighthearted and has a good time. Um, everybody gets along and we just truly enjoy each other. You know, when we're not on the court, we're hanging out, we're chilling together. So um, I think Connecticut, Connecticut kind of brings us together in that type of way because there's really not a lot of stuff to do outside of basketball. So we kind of, you know, hang out with each other a lot. And it's, you know, it's like a college kind of atmosphere, a college um, type of environment. And I think it shows on the court. Well, I will say this year there seems to be more going on in Connecticut than I've ever seen. And I'm going to give a shout out to Amber Cox in your front <laughs> office because some of the things that you guys have going on just from a marketing standpoint, I mean, mm-hmm. it just looks like it's been so much fun and um, to be a part of the organization or to be a fan of, of the franchise. So um, shout out to Amber and all that she has done. Now, let's talk about you. Um your your journey from the Bahamas, which is well documented, but share with the fans kind of just tell us about your background, your upbringing, how you were introduced to basketball, and really kind of how you got to where you are now. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I was born and raised in the Bahamas. Shout out to Freeport, Grand Bahama, all my people back there in the 242. But, um, yeah, born and raised there. Uh, all my life I was around basketball, you know, um, my father was a high school coach when I was growing up. I remember him just, you know, going to practices with him all the time and watching the game. Um, my cousins were always playing. Um, my grandmother had a basketball court in the back of her yard. And 
all of us would, you know, just go there on the weekends and just play basketball all day, every day. So basketball was something that was just, I guess, always in my life and something that was always around. So it was natural for me to want to pick the basketball and play as well. And I just remember, you know, just watching other people play and wanting to get out there in the basketball court. But um, I had a lot of great people in my life, coaches who really invested in me. Um, I used to work out in the mornings with a coach, back home call, Coach Maxi. Um, at 5 o'clock in the mornings, it would be me and him and a lot of other players, some that you may know, one that you may know, Buddy Hill, he plays in the NBA now. Yeah, Buddy Hill, yeah. yeah. So we would work out in the mornings, 5 o'clock in the morning, then we would you know, go back, shower, and get ready for school. And, um, you know, just him being so invested in us as athletes allowed us to be able to come up to the state for high school and then, We'll continue our basketball and our education. So going back to those workouts and your, your childhood and those early days in Bahamas, one thing I think is so interesting, and I'm going to talk about <laughs> what we saw in the All-Star game in a minute, but you started out as a point guard. Now, you're 6'6". Six, six. Uh, you may still be growing from what I understand, but talk about your evolution position-wise from where you started to kind of where you are now and how you've been able to develop that versatility. Yeah, so, yeah, when I was at home in the Bahamas, I was the point guard. Um, yeah, I just would always be the one who's leading the team. I always had the ball in my hands. And um, I guess when I came over for uh, to play in high school here in the U.S., I was, what, like a two, like a three guard you know, because of my size. Um, and, you know, just continued to work on ball handling and all that stuff because I was a guard at that time. But um, as I grew a little bit more, they started to put me in the post. I always worked on post moves as well because um, our coach at home would always want us to be versatile and be able to do different stuff. But um, as I grew, they kind of put me in the post a little bit more, but I still kept the ball handling skills. And I still didn't expect myself to be 6'6", six, and six, I was probably like maybe 5'11", <laughs> when I was in high school. So, well, not 5'11", maybe like, yeah, 5'11", 6 for this around there. Um, got to college, was kind of around 6'3", six, six, as freshman year, and just continued to grow. So um, I actually picked my nephew up from the airport this morning, and he was like, did you grow some more? I was like, I don't know what you think. He's like, yeah, I think you grow some more. So, um, yeah, I think I'm still growing right now. I went to the doctor. He said my growth place is still open, so we'll see where I finish off. That is crazy. I mean, to go from, like, middle school, first of all, and then, you know, like, okay, so you think you're done growing in high school, but you're only, like, 5'10", 5'11", and then to go to 6'6", like, that is so crazy. And, I mean, you can handle it. You can shoot it. We saw you dunk in the All-Star game. And that was my question. You know, I talked to Kurt Miller a little bit about how he uses you because I was drooling watching you in the All-Star game. Like, oh, my gosh, I want to see her do more of this. Like, I selfishly want to see you in the on the perimeter more. But you're such a great rebounder that, uh-huh. that Kurt, I know, likes to keep you around the basket. How have you been right. able to balance, you know, those skill sets and, and when to do what in the course of a game? Yeah, I think I think it's all coach. I think he, his offense allows um, post players to be versatile. It kind of, um, yeah, just works towards the type of post players that he has on the team, and I'm sure that was the reason why he chose to draft us. You know, um, post players like Morgan and I and uh, Danielle Adams, who can stretch the floor, uh, Kayla Peterson can shoot it as well. So I think um, the offense just allows us to, you know, flow a little bit. We come up to the top of the key, we reverse it. Um, we can stay up or we can we can roll. So we have different options that allow us to play to our strength. So I think it's just a credit to him and what they've been able to do. Well, I'm going to have to call Kurt because I want to see you bring it up the court. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, in the All-Star <laughs> game, you were taking it end to end, and you just you were just out there. I mean, you could have taken Jasmine Thomas' place in the, in the All-Star game, the way you were handling uh, facilitating things. So <laughs> I, I still think, well, you couldn't D up like Jazz. Nobody could D up like Jazz. But um, I, I do think there's even still another level of your game that's still evolving. And that would be my question for you. You know, I know we, we talked quite a bit about the impact of you playing overseas um, in the mm-hmm. offseason and you want to focus on finishing easy baskets. Where's kind of like your focus now in terms of where you want to continue to get better and grow? Yeah, I think ball handling for sure is something that I can get better at. Um, just being able to make, you know, different moves um, from the outside to be able to get into the paint. Um, yeah, I think just developing that. Um, also my post game, my back-to-the-basket game, 
you know, I think I have to get better at just finishing and being able to, you know, make strong moves around the rim um, against talented um, post players that are uh, defending me. So I think ball handling and back to basket moves are two of the things that I really have to work on coming into the next season or just, you know, going through this season. Yeah. I want to go back really quickly. Um, we have to wrap up here in a minute, but I want to go back to, you know, you talked about your journey from Bahamas. And one thing I know you don't talk about really is your humble beginnings. Um, how has that impacted your life and your journey, not just as a player, but a- as a person? Yeah, I mean, just growing up in the Bahamas, we just the way we treat people is, you know, something that's, that's different. I think we just are genuine, uh, more hospitable, different stuff like that. And it's allowed me to come into a I'm coming to my own and be, I guess, be different, be weak when I'm, you know, uh, I guess socializing with other people. They always come to me and say, oh, it's just something so, you know, something so different the way you just talk to people. And I think that's just a tribute to the Bahamas and the people around me. Um, my parents are hard workers. Uh, I never needed anything when I was growing up. Um, and I think as, as a child, you kind of don't think about that stuff. And then when you grow up and your parents are actually telling you what was going on at that time or what they're going through right now, you kind of, you know, you look at them as superheroes and you realize that they were doing so much and, you know, really, really just just making sure that their kids had everything that they needed. And so um, the Bahamas is great to me. My parents are awesome. And they sacrificed a lot for me to get where I am. And so now it's my time to work hard and make sure that they have the things that they need. Well, your folks in the Bahamas were definitely voting for the All-Star. They were putting you out there and did a great job with that. They came together. Um, Just to finish us up here, there's two movements going on in the WNBA. There's a post-movement with you and Sylvia and Brittany and Tina Charles. You know, there's a post-player movement. Obviously, you can put NECA in that category, though she she plays all over the floor, as you do, but, you know, coming off an MVP season. So, mm-hmm. the post-players in the league are getting after, but there's also a youth movement. Ten first-time All-Stars. Uh, you know, you can look across the board, and there's so many in Dallas, and even with San Antonio, with you guys, uh, with Atlanta. There's kind of like this new wave of young players coming in do you feel that youth movement and if so what what is that like for you to experience that knowing that the league is has got some fresh new talent yeah i think definitely there's a movement um with our draft class and, you know, with the level of players that we have you know beyond the store more Kentucky wide Jefferson. i mean our draft class is being able to you know, have like, i think it was two of us our class already in the all-star game um and then you know with Alyssa and jazz and and they was coming into their first All-Star game. I think the league just has a lot of potential to grow, a lot of potential um, for young, talented athletes to come in and step up. And I also think um, it shows that when young, younger athletes coming into the league have a chance to really show what, they, what they've got, they, you know, they have the necessary tools to be able to play for a long time and to play against um, against some of the best. Well, it's been so fun to watch. Not only you, but the Connecticut Sun. You guys have this free-flowing style. Um, you kind of play with this reckless abandon. Like, obviously, you have nothing to lose. Like you said, you guys lost a lot last year. You can tell that you're just free um, using mm-hmm. that youthfulness and that athleticism to get up and down the floor. So much fun to watch. And we look forward to watching you the rest of the way. Thank you so much for your time. And where can the fans find you on social media? How can they keep up with you? Yeah, so all of my social media accounts have the same handle. So the handle is at um, JUS242, and that's me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, and um, congrats on all your success, and we'll be watching you the rest of the way. Thank you, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. We want to thank John Quell Jones for joining the show, and now it's time to head into the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. The fourth quarter is our out-of-bounds segment, and we're actually going to stick with basketball this week, but heading in a different direction. We're going to shift gears and talk about USA basketball. Now, we could have easily had Doug Feinberg as a part of our roundtable earlier on, but he's a big deal. So he didn't have time for us at 2 (laughs) o'clock. So we were lucky enough to get on Doug's very busy schedule. Um, So I'd like to welcome to the show... AP basketball writer Doug Feinberg. Welcome, Doug. Thanks, Luciana. You know, it's funny. I think we talked a year ago at this time. I was down in Rio for the Olympics with USA Basketball. I, so. I remember that. So you're kind of like, even though you're you're all over the place with women's basketball, I kind of feel like you are our, um, our USA Basketball voice. I mean, you kind of bring substance to our USA Basketball coverage. 
There, there are a lot Officially. worse things to be in the world. And I definitely take that. Well, we have you um, on the show this week in particular to talk about um, the U.S. under 23 team. Now, this is the first time that USA basketball is assembling a team for U23 of my goodness, the best young and upcoming talent in women's basketball. When I looked at the invitations, I was like, wow, how in the world are they going to narrow this down? We'll get to the team in a moment, but tell us a little bit, as much as you know about why they wanted to start this team and um, how long you were there and kind of the format of everything, Doug. Sure. They, I was told they wanted to start the team because there was really nothing consistent for players between the college kids from – 1923. There wasn't some, some all play together. There's U19 teams or maybe the World University games, but nothing for everyone who's the, the best, the best in college to get together at the same time. So they said, let's start this. Let's put together a U23 team. So sure enough, they had a week in Colorado Springs. I was there for about half of it. It was, it was a basketball junkie's dream, seeing the best of the best play against each other. And you wrote, um, you actually wrote an article because when you say basketball junkies and the future of the game, obviously we think about, wow, it's summer, you know, WNBA has a, has an opportunity to kind of see the up and coming talent. And there was some WNBA representation there. Talk about just that and what you think those teams that were able to attend got a chance to see. You know, I was surprised there were not more. New York showed up, LA showed up, Chicago showed up. You would think there'd be more teams. I mean, it's a perfect chance to scout the top 36 players for this year's draft, next year's draft, the year after's draft, play against each other. So you're guaranteed a good, a good game, so to speak, and see what they can do against the best of the best. What I thought was great format-wise was they had some drill instruction work for the kids mixed in, and then they made four teams where they played them against each other in a little mini-tournament so you could see how kids did just ju- sort of like learning teammates on the fly, how they learn plays quickly. Just a, a WNBA scout stream, so to speak, of seeing kids that you can potentially draft, how they do in unfamiliar situations. So yeah, I'm surprised only three teams showed up, but hey, good for those three teams. You got a good free scouting report uh, that no one else really got. Now, how often are they going to? Is this USA twenty three team going to compete? And where are they? Where are they headed at this point? To give the fans so an idea what the what, where they're going. They're they're in Japan. There's a four team tournament with them, the U.S., Japan, uh, Canada, and Australia. So all those under three under twenty three teams are going to play each other. I believe like in the next couple of days. So it, it should be fun. Just a round robin tournament. It's not like a world championship for 20, under 23. It's just a little tournament for the best teams in the world. We get a little competition, see what they can do, play against each other. Now, and, and did these other countries already have U23 teams, or did they? is this all inaugural for them as well? No, it is. That's a very good point. When I was talking to Carol Callen, who is the be-all and end-all of USA basketball as far as putting things together, she said she was talking to her Australian counterpart to say, hey, you know, Maybe let's do something for the under 23s because it's kind of an area that we don't really have much for. And they're like on board. Like, That's a great idea. They reached out to Canada. They reached out to Japan to see if they wanted to host it because obviously they're hosting the Olympics in a couple of years. And they were like, definitely we'll do this. So that's how it kind of came about. There isn't really, I don't think that any of the four countries have like U23 teams for the most part that practice together. They all kind of get together last minute to see what they can do. So they're hoping that this thing does well and then it can grow and maybe become two years from now, an under-23 type championship uh, like they have for the U19s or U18s. Now, on the staff, I know Jeff Walls will be uh, the head coach, um, but also leading this team in terms of his staff, assistant coaches Courtney Banghart of Princeton, uh, Michelle Clark Hurd of Western Kentucky. Now, Gino Ariema was in attendance as well. Um, obviously, he is, has now moved on. Don Staley is the new head coach of the national team, but he was there to serve as a lead clinician during the camp, guiding skill development sessions. Corey Close of UCLA was there. Jamel Elliott um, of the University of Cincinnati was also a court coach. Um, the The national team committee is chaired by Jen Rosati, um, head coach at GW. 
but also as a part of the 12-member roster uh, for the selection team is Kara Lawson-Barling, um, Karen Aston of Texas, Tanya Cardoza, um, Wes Moore. So there, was, there were a lot of basketball brains and geniuses in the room. And let's talk now really about the roster, Doug, because as I mentioned, they invited 36 hopefuls, right? And I'm thinking, how in the world are they going to narrow this down? But they did. So the team was named. Um, and let me just run down quickly who, who was named to the U23 team. Jamie Nard of Tennessee, um, Asia Wilson of South Carolina, Mercedes Russell of Tennessee, Ariel Atkins of Texas, Baylor's Kalani Brown, Asia Durr of Louisville, um, Sabrina Ieskew from Oregon. I'm probably saying her last name wrong. Forgive me. Um, Brittany McPhee from Stanford, Ohio State's Kelsey Mitchell, Notre Dame, Arike Agumbawale, and UCLA's Monique Billings and Jordan Canada. Now, Asia Wilson is unable to compete because of injuries. So- will be replaced by Ohio State's Lene Harper, to my understanding. But I also want to add that UConn had, what, four players participate in this, but none of them were eligible to play. Is that is that correct, Doug? Yeah, they had four kids. They had uh, Azrae Stevens, uh, Nafisa Collier, Gabby Williams, and Katie Lou Samuelson, um, as well as Rebecca Greenwell from Duke was there. Those five weren't eligible to play or be on the U23 team because their teams were going to Italy. UConn and, and Duke are headed to Italy the next couple of days for uh, their own foreign trips. So all five of them were in camp, did great, but were not eligible to be on the team. And thank God, in a sense, because good luck trying to figure out who you can take off that team that you named <laughs> to put those four or five kids on it who all potentially deserved it. Yeah, um, and, you know, I shared this with you via Twitter that I was like, I mean, it sounds like from – people that were there that all four of them likely would have made it. But um, just to name a couple other people that were there but did not make the team, um, Rebecca Greenwell was in attendance, Brooke McCarty of Texas, um, Mariah Moore was there now of USC. So there was talent on talent. Victoria Vivians was in attendance, um, Jackie Young of Notre Dame. So a lot, a lot of talent, but they were able to to narrow it down. Doug, just to kind of finish us up here, what were your main takeaways about this experience, about this group, um, about the future of, of women's basketball? Well, first off, the future is bright, very bright, because these kids can all play. I mean, they're not even kids anymore. They, these players can all play. The, the committee did a great job. I mean, they could have chosen any of the other kids for the most part and would have been fine with who they took. Um, just the competitiveness. I mean, you mentioned Gino and Dawn were there as clinicians, so to speak. They gave really good speeches that had nothing to do about X's and O's in basketball. Dawn talked about getting cut in the 92 Olympic team and then how she worked hard to make it for the, obviously, the next few Olympics. And Gino talked about really just character. Like, it's really body language, what you do, points, rebounds, assists. No one really remembers that on Olympic, on USA basketball team. It's what you do on the other things. And I think, I mean, every kid I talked to was so enamored and in awe of both Dawn and Gino, what they said and how really they can bring it back. I think that their own coaches hammer home to them, but it's always nice to hear from a different voice. It's sort of like, wow, coach knows what he's talking about. So that's something yeah. they took away. I thought it was great. I mean, we didn't mention, but there was a, a couple unfortunate injuries that happened at this camp, which, I mean, basketball, things happen. People get hurt, unfortunately. But I thought it was great. I hope that they do it again in a couple of years. Maybe not every year, but if they do it every two years, I think that would be great yeah, who did get hurt? Um, was, was it Katie Lou in, in Asia? Were those the only two? Well, Katie Lou got hurt. She was preemptive on her foot. Uh, Asia's groin was bothering her. Um, Ty Martin, I heard, from West Virginia got banged up. They haven't figured out what it is yet, but she may be out for a little while. And Tennis Page of Penn State got hurt, and she's out probably for a while. She apparently fractured or dislocated her, her ankle and had to leave on an ambulance. I was not there for it, oh. but she's in a cast, and we'll see how long she's out for. Wow. Yeah, you hate to hear that. Definitely sending well wishes to those kids. Well, we are going to wrap now um, to those players. But, Doug, uh, before I let you go, I have to put you on the hot seat. Was there anyone that you were surprised that either made the team or someone that you thought should have made it that did not make it? Um, You know, I mean, it's tough. I, I, I would have gone a different way, maybe a little bit, just to get a couple more big post players on that team, especially when Asia went out. But I know what they're looking for. They like versatility, and they like having what they have. So I thought uh, Christina Nigway played really well for Cal, but 
she didn't make the roster. I'm sure she'll be in the USA basketball player at some point in her future. So that might have been one I changed. I was surprised. I don't want to name any names, but a couple players came out of shape, which I find a little bit surprising that going to an under-23 camp with the best of the best to not show up in shape is probably not the best idea. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> that probably is not going to give you your best chance of, of making the team. So I'm sure that's that would be a takeaway as well. Well, the future is bright. Again, I we only got to name a couple players, but some of the best in the in the world were there, especially for their age group. Doug, I just want to say thank you because honestly, you know, I, I don't think a lot of us, including myself, took advantage of that opportunity. I had something scheduled during that time, but I was looking back wishing I hadn't because I would have loved to be there. And hopefully next time around more of us more coverage um but what you do is fantastic because without you writing about what's happening there we don't know you know and and this is the future of our game so thank you for covering it and um we'll have you back on the show soon how's that sound and it won't be usa basketball related (laughs) i appreciate it and and kudos to all you for willing to help it grow as well well, thank you, Doug. And, and fans can find you at Doug Feinberg, right, on Twitter? Yep, that's me, at Doug Feinberg. All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon, Doug. And thank you for the AP poll, too. We we, t- we gave you some, some plugs, some love early on the show, Kelsey Plum this week and some other things. So thank you for all the work you do with that as well. All right, guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Fans, it has been an awesome show big thank you once again to our WNBA roundtable with Michelle Howard and David another big thanks to John Quell for joining us we are so appreciative of having her on the show and we really look forward to seeing what she's going to do to finish out her season with the Sun and another big thanks to Doug for joining us to give us some insight on the under 23 team LaChina it's been real girl but we are out of here make sure you guys follow her at LaChina Robinson you guys can follow me at she knows sports underscore make sure you guys are hitting us up at hashtag around the rim and uh we'll talk to you guys later thank you for listening to around the rim check out more podcasts from espn on the espn app